Welcome to Real History, shows what you know about history. On this podcast, we talk about historical movies and television shows, anything that claims to be based on a true story, and we check how bad did they mess it up, how much did they sacrifice to get a great movie. Well, that's why we're here, to separate the real history from the real history. My name is Jacob Burrows, and I don't know anything about history. And my name is Michael Tynan, and I like to basically make up facts about history to confuse Jacob Burroughs and then mm-hmm. let him believe them. And then about a half an hour later, I tell them it was bullshit. Yeah. My name's Mark Bell, and I'm currently just in awe of the amount of notes that Michael has for this episode. Yeah, it's honestly, like, uh, a lot. It's like, uh, like we were saying, a bumbling professor. Like, saying, is this your dissertation? Yeah. <laughs> a small tree in Siberia was sacrificed <laughs> for the making of this, yeah. Gladiator is the film we're discussing this time, and I've written a one-sentence summary, as I always do. You can evaluate it. I, this is one of the ones where it's like, you probably downloaded this episode because you watched Gladiator. Here's my summary anyway, in case you weirdly haven't seen Gladiator. A victorious general is turned into a slave, forced to fight for the amusement of the mob, but he uses his fighting skills to rise to the top and challenge the emperor, both politically and physically. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah? Just when you say yeah. physically, it just <laughs> sounds so strange. Oh yeah, <laughs> if you know what I mean, physical challenges. <laughs> but that is what Gladiator is, separating all, like, taking the history out of it. That's the story. Actually, that's, I think, why it's a compelling story, because it's, like, got that sort of, I'm entered into a, situ- like, fish out of water, but I have a secret skill that's going to make me the best kind of Harry Potter feeling, but with gladiators. It's kind of that thing that gets me excited about the story anyway. Yeah, I mean, it, it it definitely has that um those kind of compelling story elements to it. Um, it is one of those movies where it's set in a time period where most people have some kind of familiarity with some of the concepts, but probably no specific knowledge. And it it's like it's perfect for this kind of a story where you you can kind of tell something in a in what looks like a historical context, but you can take liberties that people are not really going to question to any great extent. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think in general when you're uh, studying Roman history or if you're just a fan of Roman history the the thing you quickly realise is that s- so much of the modern world that we associate everything from our po- the way we refer to our political system uh, to the way that we organise our society uh, to the way that um, the church uh, lived on after the empire everything like that continues to basically influence to this day mm. Um as well as that, it's really cool when you realise things like the month of July is named after Julius Caesar, or <laughs> the month of August is named after the Emperor Augustus. When you don't realise that at the beginning, and then you find out, I think that's that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, but us Scandinavians, we have Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, we got all of them at least. We got Thor, Odin, Yeah, but you, you also have Saturday. Let's not worry about Saturday. <laughs> um, so the film, I mean, you probably already know this, everyone, but a Gladiator was uh, directed by Ridley Scott. Uh, it was released in the year 2000, uh, written by David Frizzoni, John Logan, and William Nicholson. I always like to go into the writers because I like writing and such. Interesting, like, if you look at what else they've done, you see stuff like Hugo, mm. uh, Last Samurai, of course, Sinbad, mm. <laughs> Legend of the Seven Seas. So, you know, historical stuff in there. Ridley Scott, of course, has has taken a, a, a spin around the old history books, hasn't he, lads? Yeah, I, I think... For for Ridley Scott, it's probably um, 
in the more I was going to say modern, but it's a lot. It's a quite an old movie now, isn't it? I mean, it's twenty years, nearly twenty years. But yeah. I think in in the more the second half, maybe you might say of his career, it's probably the high point of his career in terms of the success of his of his movies. Yeah. He's almost been trying to chase this one since, yeah, and replicate the same yeah. sort of feeling that people got. Yeah. I mean, this was a huge success. This movie, and yeah. mm-hmm. like uh, as you were saying, it will. It, probably ignited a lot of interest in the time period itself and in historical films just in general. So this is a huge one for anyone interested in historical films because I think you described something like this, Mark. You would watch this and go and then go like, this is amazing, this is exciting, mm. now I want to look into this, and then you learn it's none of it happened. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> like, it's, I, I, like, for me personally, it, this movie is the thing that sparked... Um, I mean, I always had some level of interest in history when I was very young, but it's the thing that really, really sparked it for for me to be the thing that i was most interested like in school and uh in college and so on um but also i think like it reignited ridley scott's career but you'd have to say that it really ignited russell crowe's career as well yeah yeah, i mean good good character actor he'd been in other things before this but this is probably his big big breakout yeah starring role it's when people really took notice of him and and that's it's probably fair to say that's true of Joaquin Phoenix as well. Yes, yeah. I was going to say to a lesser extent. I mean, well, he, he was basically in, wasn't in anything. Before, yeah, he, I was, say he was pretty unknown, right? He was because I remember this coming out and people saying Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, that's River Phoenix's brother. Yeah, <laughs> what I really I'd forgotten about when I rewatched the film recently when I saw Oliver Reed in it. Yeah. Um. He's so great. Oliver, yeah, he he was just brilliant, and to think that he died during the filming of the actual. Yeah movie he is yeah. very good in it uh i did notice like at some point like wait why does he look so weird all <laughs> yeah, of a sudden because yeah, yeah. he done died and yeah. that's why they computer animated him and put him a body double or something and i was yeah. like oh okay this makes sense uh you praised uh commodus or, or Joaquin's uh, portrayal i you know, it's good. It's very over the top, but then mm, is. the film lends itself to that. Yeah. Everything about it sort of like it is larger than life and it has to be as, as was Rome everything about Imperial Rome was extravagant yeah you know, and that that's the- almost like like um, we'll get into details and stuff but Mark you're always like unhappy about fire arrows and such and I'm like I, I understand and I agree but this is such a film if that makes yeah. sense yeah like you're so in with yeah, the yeah. <laughs> rules of like filmic over the top like mm. lawrence of arabia like mm. old school stuff that like the laws of physics don't apply it's the laws of no. film so of course the fire arrows will cause inexplicable explosions uh all over the place it's just gonna happen yeah it's got that it's got that kind of um it's got that kind of epic feel i think that probably films of the era didn't really have for a long time like it's got it's got that thing that like Spartacus had it's got you know you know what I mean or Ben-Hur but it's a modern version of that so it's bigger yeah. it's more powerful it's technically better shot it looks better just higher uh, production costs all that kind of stuff so it's, it's immersive in the house yeah like even just anecdotally the first time you see the, the Colosseum Oh yeah, uh, just yeah. a beautiful shot, yeah. and you you see the buildings around it, the and uh, Imperial Rome at its in mm. all its splendor, the marble, the the arches, and there's a shot of the where they lift their heads. Russell Crowe, uh, Maximus lifts his head, and he sees a flight of birds just passing over, and you're just like that. It's a beautiful shot. And there, there's a there's a line then from one of the one of the side characters. Um, I think it's Jaimon Hansu. Um, and he, he he's you know looking at the the marble buildings in the Colosseum, and he has a line. It's something like, yeah. "How how could man build things like this?" Yeah. You know. Yeah, I didn't know man could build things like this. Or yeah, sometimes yeah. something on those lines, which is great. 
And that air of like, this is epic, this is amazing, that is what the film is almost made to convey. Mm. Like, looking into how they made it, it was like, they pitched it with like, a painting, I think, to to the director of like, this is the painting of like, uh, a gladiator, and like, this is the feeling. And I read into how they put the script together and everything, it seemed quite chaotic. It's like, they knew, knew what mood they were going for, they didn't have the story structure necessarily and everything, it was like, you know, it's kind of, and that's probably why, you know, the historical accuracy of the events, not so much there, because it's like, uh, we knew what we were, the feeling we were going for, and yeah. probably, I think the feeling... I don't know, it's hard to say, but it feels like it accurately represents the feeling of the time, and then the events, not so much. At least that's my suspicion. But we'll turn to the expert, which is Michael in this case. Do you want to give us a little bit of... I know you don't like the word expert, but um, (laughs) do you want to give us a little bit of background on the time period? (laughs) What was up? What was going on at the time? You know, uh, all that good stuff. Yeah, sure. So the film itself opens in 180 AD. Um... And that's the opening scene you see with, with, with the battle where Marcus Aurelius and uh, Commodus, who later arrives, uh, they're basically fighting off uh, an invasion. Um, or they're, they're finishing up uh, the war with Ger- Germania or tribes that live in what we would now consider Central Europe or Germany. Um, the world itself of Rome at that time was at its imperial height. Um, it basically controlled the massive landmass stretching from Scot- uh, the, the borders of Scotland all the way over into what was Asia Minor or Turkey. Uh, they dominated the Mediterranean insofar as that they, I think the name of the Mediterranean, it was Mare Nostrum, yeah, RC. Yeah. So that's how much they, they had control over it. Um, Rome at the time was an empire. It was no longer a republic. Uh, which is alluded to in this film, but it had been the the, the best part of two centuries since Rome had had a semblance of, of republican government. Yeah. Um, what was interesting here at this time was Rome was actually going through quite a good patch. Uh, it was coming up to the, a period of time which was called the, the, the rule of the five uh, good emperors. Um, now, that term, I think, was coined by... Um, Gibbon, who was one of the earlier um, kind of chroniclers of uh, Roman history, he wrote a book called The Decline and Fall of the Roman Emperor in the 1700s, and it's influenced how we view the Roman world to this day. Um, But essentially, the problem that had existed after the fall of the Republic was that uh, the Julio-Claudian clan um, had basically had one ruler after another. based on familial ties and not on compass, uh, whether the people were actually competent. Uh, so the issue arose where you had a series of disasters, like um, after Augustus' death, you had a series of uh, disasters, everything from uh, Nero to Caligula uh, to Domitian. Uh, it, it always reminds me of, um, uh, not to bring it into Game of Thrones, but you know they had that thing about the Targaryens. They flip a coin and they're e- it's either greatness yeah. or madness. That's the Julio Claudians, isn't it? Like some of, the, some of them are great and some of them are just nuts. This and is it. So, so several them. civil wars have taken place after that. And basically, eventually, we came to the period of the five good emperors who, um, bit, if you wanted to name them, they were Nerva, Trajan, who basically Trajan actually extended the emperor to its height in terms of geographical regions. Then you had Hadrian, 
Antonius Pius, um, and then Marcus Aurelius and Lucius Verus. So the, fir- the first of the five good emperors, I think the, the way probably to think of it uh, essentially is is that um, this is the period in which the empire, as Michael said, reaches its uh, zenith. Yeah. And the reason for that is instead of there being uh, just the flip of a coin over whether or not this guy is going to be good or not, you've got five good ones in a row. And the reason why they're good is because it's a meritocracy. So mm. each emperor right. picks the best suited person to replace him. Um, they adopted who yeah. they thought would be the most exactly. competent as yeah. opposed to just giving it to their son. What is unusual about this time period is that Marcus Aurelius, uh, he was the first emperor to have a an, an heir uh, who had survived past childhood in about 70 years. Okay, and Marcus Aurelius... That's your man who dies at the start of the yeah, film. That's yeah, that's Richard, Richard Harris. Harris. Just, just yeah. connecting it in my brain there. Yeah, no, I knew exactly. that. Just making sure. Uh, precisely. So the easiest way to put it is a, a, a contemporary of the time um, who was actually a senator at the time and witnessed Commodus, uh, which is a famous historian called Dio. The way he put it was the, the death of Marcus Aurelius led to the descent of Rome from a kingdom of gold to one of iron and rust. That's probably oh, nice. the easiest way to put it. Rome itself... There's a million people in Rome. It's the biggest city in the world by a considerable stretch. Yeah, yeah. for about another millennia as well. Yeah, <laughs> like y- Europe doesn't, uh, like staying in the European context, there isn't a, a European city with a population that size again until, what, the 19th century? Yeah, L- I think London, it was London in the 19th yeah. century? Yeah. Um, so it's, you mentioned Gibbon earlier. I think the, the he, he has a famous quote around how, how he, he describes the, the period of the, the five good emperors as the happiest time in history. Like this yeah. is the this, he he regards this as the zenith of human history. Obviously, it's very Eurocentric. Let's yeah. just ignore everything in the East. But it's um, it, it it's it's difficult to overstate um the importance of the period. This is th- this period is what gives people the um the image, the, the memory, and the thought of Rome yeah. Yeah. and its greatness. That comes from this this period. There's a phrase like to, to, you 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 mentioned the emperors. Um, probably the gr- the greatest of the, in my opinion anyway the greatest of the of the five emperors is Trajan, and mm. he's so important that culturally it becomes actually a phrase in the Roman Empire. If you wanted to praise somebody, you'd say he's better than Trajan. <laughs> yeah. So what what did he do? What did he do that was so great anyway, Mark? Well, Trajan is the guy who basically he's the last of the of the emperors in this period who who significantly expands the empire. Mm. So he 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 pushes it out to its greatest geographical extent. So what he essentially does is he, he, he pushes back incursions in the northern borders, uh, which is Scotland, northern England. Um, he then invades uh, Dacia, which is uh, modern-day Rom- Romania, Romania yeah, which right. allows him control of very significant gold and silver mines, which, then, like which he then uses to finance massive public works in Rome. So all these nice marble buildings and columns like Trajan's column. They're built out of the wealth that are that is uh, incorporated in from the uh, capture of Dacia. He also expands the empire into Mesopotamia, into what's into modern Iraq. Um, he he has a war with the with the I believe it's the Parthians. Um, it's always who, a war with the Parthians. Yeah, you, yeah, I mean you got to fight the Parthians. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're right there. Um, but uh, that that war has gone fairly well. But he just he just does a very good job in terms of admin. Secondly, the, 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 the very, very important thing I think you'd have to say that Trajan does is his nominated successor is almost as good as he is, which, 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 is, which is Hadrian, who's famous for the wall. Oh, yeah. So, That's where I know that from. Yeah, that worked out pretty well. So, so Hadrian is, is kind of, he steadies the ship again. So he, he establishes the borders. 
So the, the idea that he physically built a wall is pretty, pretty fitting for this guy because he mm. stabilizes the situation even further. So he allows for the prosperity that Trajan brought in to really take effect. Yeah. He stabilizes the borders all along um, Europe, the, the borders with Germania. He, he essentially ends the war in Mesopotamia. Um, and he's also a great um, patron of the arts. He's yeah. known as a, a philhellen. The, the so Greekling. He, yeah. yeah, so yeah. he loves like Greek art and he even dresses like a greek guy he grows a beard out which is not something romans would typically do funnily enough romans regarded beards as being effeminate yeah Mm, which is pretty funny when you think about it but the reason is they thought it was very uh it was an effeminate quality to care so much about your appearance that you would grow and maintain a beard Mm. interesting which is (laughs) kind of an odd uh, way of thinking about marcus aurelius carried on that uh tradition as well so beards a bit like nowadays they were very in fashion yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) interesting so uh, we're coming in, as you said, in the at the start of this uh, film with Rome that's just tip-top great shape. Mm. Well, Is that right? there was a few issues. So uh, essentially, Marx really has had, when he became emperor, he did have several wars. So although the borders were fairly clear and fluid, um, there was a, pro- a few problems affecting the, the emperor. Not that he couldn't handle. the. There was invasions across the Danube into uh, Roman territory by German tribes, uh, which he had to fight against for many years, um, which concluded with what we see in the opening scenes of Gladiator. Um, he also had a problem with an uprising in Syria he had to crush, which his co-emperor Lucius Verus actually uh, took kind of control of and ultimately gave his life for, um, because we believe that he died of the Antonine Plague, which right. was brought back from Syria. I was going to ask yeah. Lucius Verus, this guy, uh, not in the film? Is not it? in the film. Not in the it, film. It's, it's, not, it's not really, they don't go into that side of things. They don't want to overcomplicate the fact that there was two emperors at the time. Um, but he uh, died uh, before the start of the film? Yeah, yeah he would have died before thing. that. He had died several years earlier. But uh, wasn't, uh, sorry, I may have gotten this confused. Wasn't Commodus also co-emperor? Before? He was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but was. that would have been after. So basically, this is one of the major things if we want to talk about this now. Uh, one of the funniest things you would see in the film is that uh, when Marcus Aurelius is in his tent and he's discussing the future of the empire with uh, Maximus, who is our conquering general, yeah, uh, he basically makes a few statements which are bullshit to, to say the <laughs> best, you know. Put it to put it nicely. Yeah, like he he first of all, I think he has a quote where he says. Um, uh, Mar- uh, Maximus, look at the empire, this map of the empire which I have built over 25 years. Now, that's not true because, as we said, he hadn't expanded the empire, Marcus Aurelius. You know, on to it, he, he, he was m- more putting down revolts yeah. and shoring up the defenses, uh, but he wasn't actually actively expanding the empire at all. Uh, and as well as that, he, he kind of goes into this trawl about how Rome was once a a republic and that it will be a republic again and what's kind of really jarring when you first watch that is that you know uh, if you have a, if, if you're interested in roman history you know that the republic had been dead for the best part of two centuries yeah. uh, since the basically the wars yeah. uh, since augustus became the first well he yeah, didn't call himself an emperor but we call him an emperor he yeah. yeah he was the first among equals or a princeps as he was known 
Um, Primus inter pares. This is it. Well, Mar- Mark is our resident Latin specialist. So, <laughs> specialist uh, in terms know. of uh, pronunciation, <laughs> I'll always uh, defer to him. Mm. Uh, but yeah, essentially, d- there was no hope for. So, what the, the conversation between uh, Marcus Aurelius and Maximus, which basically was all about uh, entrusting the empire to Maximus, the conquering general. To re-establish the republic, you're saying no. That's definitely that is happen. complete fabrication. There would be the the memory of the republic was even gone. Would, the Senate yeah. would not even have dreamed of re-establishing it at that time. It's a good it's a good point to say the the memory of the republic is essentially dead. Um, it's two centuries. But like you, sorry to cut you off, but they they still keep it around though. They still have the Senate like just for fun. But or? the the Senate the Senate um at this point it's it's very uh, it's functional. So th- yeah. this is a period in Roman history where the Senate has become um, neutered, but cosmopolitan as well. They've started to take they've started to take in people from the provinces from outside Rome and its immediate surroundings to serve as senators for the purpose of administration. Okay. Um, th- those kinds of things happened under the good emperors. Yeah. We're at the end of the good emperors here. So yeah. this is the this is the climax of Rome's period of of prosperity. Um, the idea that Marcus Aurelius would return the republic, I think that's down to um, if you were to describe the, the five good emperors in like one word, the word that you would use for Aurelius is the philosopher. Yeah. Mm. So this is a this is a man who wrote a book on Stoic philosophy called Meditations, which I recommend to everyone. It's very yeah. good. Bill Clinton um, was a big fan of her. Well, actually, yeah. I, I wouldn't be a fan of Bill Clinton, <laughs> but we'll maybe we get into that in another movie. Um, but uh, Aurelius is, is definitely the thinking man's emperor, mm. which is why Not, it's yeah. it's so extraordinary that it's Commodus who succeeds him because he is a <laughs> getting back, yeah, getting back to what you were asking, J- Jacob. Basically, Commodus had been. There was never any question that Commodus would succeed Marcus Aurelius in 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 real in real terms. He when he was fifteen, he uh, Marcus Aurelius made his, made Commodus his co his joint emperor. Yeah, so basically that's like an apprenticeship. He would have taken Commodus on his his campaigns, his military campaigns. He would have tried to instill in him all the virtues that an emperor should have, mm-hmm. uh, but. I think, as Mark was saying to me, didn't work. Uh, it, that would have worked if the, if Commodus had a different character. So, it, I mean, yeah. so it, there's a grain of truth then in his statement that like Commodus is not a moral man, like mm. which is weird that that is sort of isn't that kind of always the case? You have a, a rich dad and like so, and he he struggled and yeah, did stuff, uh, and then you're just a piece of shit. This is this is ver- this is very much if you're if you're to um, attempt some kind of. Uh, some kind of understanding of Commodus's character. Um, Aurelius is grooming this guy to be the emperor. Um, almost, I, I, as I was saying, Michael, to you earlier, it's almost like Plato's concept of the philosopher king. He's raised specifically to be the emperor. And I think that's what probably, you might say, Aurelius is trying to do. Rather than adopting a guy who might be good, he's, he's trying to make his son the perfect ruler. Yeah. But what's actually happened is uh, there's a lot of pressure on a 15-year-old kid He's bringing him around military campaigns. He's making him live in tents. He's not getting any of the uh, the traditional trappings yeah. of being the prince or being the the named heir. By the time Aurelius dies, Commodus is eighteen, yeah, and he's a spoiled brat beyond belief. Like he is the most powerful man in the world, and he's eighteen, mm. and he's never experienced any of the trappings. Not any of the trappings. That's maybe too unfair. But he's not living it up in the lap of luxury in the center of Rome. Yeah, which you might think he would have been mm. but his father has a plan you know yeah, but the, the main point to, ma- to make about that is that 
in the movie it's betrayed that it's portrayed that he that Commodus should not be emperor and his father didn't want him to in reality Marcus Aurelius nominated and pushed for Commodus to become the emperor after yeah. him you know he was already in, he would have already had certain levels of imperium oh, he yeah, would absolutely. have had absolutely. certain honors that would would have been uh, given in preparation for someone becoming the the emperor um so that's kind of the one thing that kind of sticks uh when you when you watch the film the first time you're like okay that is a glaring hole uh in the film but you know because it's uh, it's such an enjoyable right to actually watch the movie you just let it roll you yeah know? <laughs> i mean in the film obviously he uh nominates uh russell crowe to be uh the emperor basically what an emperor he would have been huh yeah. russell crowe <laughs> yeah and as far as i understand he is you know an amalgamation of different characters yeah. from around the era uh, notably Narcissus, because Commodus did get murdered by sure Narcissus, who was his wrestling instructor, mm. uh, Gladiator, maybe? Yeah. Or, yep. yeah. 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 So, I mean, that did happen. Obviously, not the way it was laid out, but, and also, I don't think Narcissus was a general. Uh, not, so, no. I mean, it's a real, it's a real mix of stuff going on, which is understandable. Like, it is a cocktail of, like, we want to capture the feeling, not necessarily the plot. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the character of Maximus. That, that's a great way to describe it. I think he's he, he's definitely a composite character, um, but not just of the era. He's a composite character that includes um, influence from throughout throughout Roman history, including kind of cultural icons from Roman history. So I I, I regard him as, as being primarily inspired by uh, Cincinnatus, who's a who's a, a legendary figure in Roman. Um, not really even Roman history, just I'm not sure if there's any proof he really existed at yeah. all. But this is the guy who who the American city Cincinnati is named after. So he's he's supposed to uh, uh, embody Roman virtue. So Cincinnatus is a guy who was a he was a, a farmer who was also happened to just be a military genius. And the story goes that Rome is invaded by barbarian tribes from the north and the Senate come and they beg Cincinnatus, take control of the army, take control of Rome, save Rome. So he takes control of the army, he marches north to face the barbarians, he defeats them, he's the saviour of Rome, he's at the point of ultimate power, they've made him dictator, he can do whatever he wants, and he just gives up his power and goes back to his farm. Yeah. The, this didn't happen, or maybe happened? or Well, this is a, this is a, a story the Romans tell themselves. This, yeah. this is the, the model that you're supposed to be aiming for. Everyone is supposed to be like Cincinnatus. So this continued into even into the, um, into the Renaissance in Europe. Many of the, uh, as I mentioned, in, in the US, there's a city called Cincinnati, and that's because there was a group of people called the Order of Cincinnatus, which most of the first groupings of American presidents were all members of. That's the inspiration behind George Washington standing down his power after two terms. Right. He wanted to be like Cincinnatus. It's public virtue. It's, it's, uh, yeah. the go- it's people who have power, but they exercise it for the public good. Yeah, it, you know? justly. So Ma- Maximus is Cincinnatus, there's also a touch of Spartacus about him. He's got that kind of stoic, stiff upper lip, face impossible odds. There's also a touch of uh, a later Roman figure, Flavius Aetius, who's often referred to as the last Roman. He's the general who, I'll overstate it a little bit, but he's he's the guy who beats Attila the Hun. Um, the last time Rome, the Western Roman Empire, put an army into the field, it's under it's under Flavius Aetius. Uh, there's a touch of that about Maximus. The way Aetius is described is kind of how Maximus looks. Um, so you know he, he he's a composite character of all these all these different people. Also, Michael, you mentioned an uprising in Syria. There was another emperor declared 
during Aurelius's early reign when there was r- misreports that he had died. Mm, and one yeah. of the popular generals declared himself emperor, yeah. even though he was actually a friend of Aurelius. Mm. Um, that obviously went badly for him. But uh, I think... He was later killed. He was later killed, yeah. And I, th- I think there's an element of that inspiring Maximus as well. Mm. Yeah, so a real mix of stuff. I, I do want to touch again on the Senate just because it's something that is of interest to me, but I don't really know that much about it. It sounds like at the time it was basically the inverse of, say, a, a Swedish political system where you have a king... But they don't like their ceremonial or a UK system. There's sort of a ceremonial figurehead, mm. but holds traditional power. And then the actual politicians do the real work. Uh, you have a Senate around, but it's, it's well, probably more useful than having a king around because they administer stuff and things like that. But no real power. Am I right in that? Well, it it would have been, been a source. Um, for example, it would have been the aristocracy. So they would have yeah. been the rich. You would have had to have been rich to be in the Senate, for example. It wasn't elected or sure. any way, shape, or form like that. Um, it would have probably been, you could have said it would made up of men who would have been the permanent governors of various provinces throughout mm-hmm. the emperor. They would have all wanted to uh, be in the emperor's good books. Uh, but And a lot of them, as we, if we see in Roman history, when an emperor died unexpectedly or was assassinated, a lot of the time, uh, it was a new senator who, or, or military uh, leader who would have become the new emperor. So, so this this is a, this is an interesting point to come to because we're we're, we're in this movie we we're, we're ha- we have a situation where some of the senators, the one uh, played by Derek Jacobi, uh, who's na- who's hilariously named Gracchus. Yeah, he. Um, I'll, expi- that, I'll explain yeah. why that's hilarious in okay, a minute. Um, but uh, he, so he, he, he's one of these guys who's trying to, uh, you know, help Aurelius's vision of returning the Republic. In reality, what actually does happen after, after Commodus is, is uh, assassinated or strangled to death in a yeah. bath, which, which is actually what happens. Yeah, and by the way, about 10 years after he was made emperor? Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's emperor alone until about 192 or 193, yeah. something like that. Uh, so he's about 12 or 13 years as emperor himself. Yeah. Um, after he's... Uh, after he's murdered, rather than re-establishing the Republic or making any even remote attempt to do something like that, the Senate nominated a guy called Pertinax, who who is another senator, to be the emperor. But at this point, you, you've you've got to remember that uh, what's what's the I, I keep going back to Game of Thrones. Power resides where men believe power resides. <laughs> the army don't accept Pertinax. Yeah, well, isn't that how you get into? We had the five good emperors, but was it the year of the five emperors? The year of the five emperors. Yeah, five, which it sounds again like I'm excited about this stuff because I'm like selfishly I'm like there's so many stories here. Like yeah, it's yeah, so yeah, fascinating yeah. to yeah. look at because. That again, Game of Thrones. It's going to be every episode, of this. So th- but in Game of Thrones, it's like the 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 War of the Five Kings or Four yeah. Kings, whatever they yeah, are. Yeah. Like that's what's going on. Basically, everyone's so, just announcing themselves as emperor. Absolutely. We we like in in Roman history, you've got these um you've got these certain periods. So you see it after the collapse of the Julio Claudian dynasty. You've got uh I think you've got four in the year sixty nine. Is it? Yeah. I think you've got like four emperors and one of the generals Vespasian, who's who's in the midst of putting down the Jewish revolt. Um which you'll see in the life of Brian. Um, he, he arrives in with his army because his legions have declared him the emperor yeah. because he's pretty cool. We like this guy, but somebody else gets declared an emperor somewhere else. Yeah. Then eventually this settles down. The, the, the five good emperors are, are, are sometimes referred to these days at the Antonine emperors as if they're one dynasty. And as soon as that ends, the same thing happens again. You've got 
legions and the senate try to get their guy and this guy get you know he has a go and this happens repeatedly throughout roman history even up to like the great emperors that people remember the names of constantine constantine had other emperors he had to fight off so it's it's never uh or it's not always a simple case that the nominated guy no takes the reins the other thing to note is is around the wording so it, the word emperor comes from the fact that they were led to or said to have held uh, imperium, which basically meant control. Mm. Um, and the way to, to get imperium a lot of the time traditionally was you were given imperium of control of an army or your men would declare, um, would declare you Caesar in the field, for example. So you, after a great victory, you could be uh, you could be declared Caesar by your men. Um, just hailed in time in my life. Or, just yeah. be declared Caesar. Exactly. You know? <laughs> and then you might have decided, I'm going to take over and you'll go off and fight to try and dominate the whole of the Roman world. Yeah. You know, so it, it, all, it all stems from that, you know. Before we move on, why is it funny that he's called Gracchus before we forget? I don't care. So, um, actually, several of the characters have names that are uh, important in Roman history. Yeah. Uh, Gracchus is one. So, so there's there are in Roman history two brothers, the, the Gracchi, who are political figures who really upset the Roman political system during the era of the Republic. They were um, popular, right? yeah, populist socialist leaders. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, it's interesting that you've got this established kind of old money, you know. Um, Senator referred to as Gracchus because Gra- the, the Gracchi were are very controversial figures in Roman history, particularly from the point of view of the the powerful and the wealthy. Mm. Um, another guy you've got is one of um, Maximus's lieutenants, one of his uh, one of his ranking officers is Man referred to as Star on the face. Yeah, yeah who who you, you've seen a lot of these kind of historical films. That actor um, Flanagan, Tom Flanagan, I think is his name. Um, but he's he's called Cicero, and, and oh, yes. uh, as he, as I might lapse into at some stage during these podcasts, I, that's that's actually what I call Mick here. I refer to him as Cicero. He's one of my heroes. Is, there, Cicero, um, yeah. is that the reason? I've never really understood why, but well, I've C- heard it Cicero a lot. is a uh, is a is one of the most famous figures from the Roman Republic. So he he's a contemporary of Julius Caesar. Yeah, um, he's a he was a great writer, a great orator. Uh, a yeah, lawyer and a lawmaker. Yeah. And the character in this film seems like a bit of a lackey, a bit of a... Yeah. Here's oh, your they're no sir. way related. No, that's whatever. what I was thinking. Yeah, which is, which is kind of why I'm just like, why did they call but them there, there are, within this movie, there, I suppose you'd call them Easter eggs. There are a guess, few yeah, put in there. Roman nerds. But yeah. we have a lot of Daenerys's and Rihanna's nowadays. I'm sure a lot of, <laughs> like, kids would have been made Well, you see, ordinarily I'd say, yeah, but... Like Cicero met with a with a with a grim end yeah. when 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 uh, the triumvirate not to get too nerdy into it but the second triumvirate took I think power. It's a bit weight. <laughs> yeah, well maybe yeah. yeah. Um, Cicero was one of the guys listed as we've got to knock this guy off. We got to get rid of this guy. So so uh, Mark Anthony actually has uh, Cicero's tongue removed, and they nail his tongue to the door of the forum and they cut his hands off and yeah. he's you know. Again, a fairly controversial figure. Although there are stories that um, Octavian, who becomes the Emperor Augustus, he um, he admired Cicero quite a lot. Um, there's a story that he comes he, he comes across his grandson reading secretly reading Cicero, and the grandson gets really worried. Oh no, Granddad has seen me reading the writings of his enemy, but Augustus is august and is, and says no, no, he he was a great man for Rome. You know this kind of mm. interesting, yeah. 
So it's it's interesting that they, they decided to throw these kind of names in, just like they did with, with Commodus's nephew. They call him Lucius Verus, which is, mm. in reality, the name of uh, Aurelius's co-emperor yeah. when he first ascends to power right. under so Antoninus. They're deliberately trying to confuse us. Yeah, I feel yeah. like that's what's happening. It's just <laughs> yeah. like... Yeah, get get some. Th- this sounds Roman. Put, put that name so, in there. So, for fans of Roman history, you, you mentioned like Easter egg. Easter egg, yes, but also infuriating. Yes, yeah. like, Easter egg is a nice. Needlessly, yeah. needlessly confusing the fact here, you know. Because yeah, as I mean, we're not getting so much into the plot of Gladiator because uh, didn't happen. So yeah. right, I mean, that's sure the short version. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, no, it 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 didn't happen. Look, this is a this is a like you like you were saying. I mean, the feel of what they're going for is incredibly well established from a technical standpoint the, the movie is amazing did the narrative happen absolutely not yeah. Commodus was the emperor alone for 13 years he ascended the throne at 18 I know Joaquin Phoenix is young when he's making this movie I don't think he's 18 mm. um, there are some stuff that you can see in Commodus's character that would have been inspired from the fact that he would have uh, for example he loved gladiatorial games yes yeah. He yeah. absolutely, he, he apparently, by his own count, uh, and you do have to remember these fights were probably rigged by his own count. Oh, there's no problem. He's, he's rigging these yeah, fights. Yeah, yeah. Over 600 uh, wins in the arena or against compa- other competitors. He, so there, there is parts of the character of Commodus, um, his kind of capricious nature, yeah. the way he would uh, bully senators and. He, for example, he did prescribe senators at the time. He would have confiscated their lands. He would have arranged for their assassinations. Um, so he was a monster as betrayed in the film. Uh, it was actually a famous, uh, if just to, to illustrate his attitude to the Senate at the time, he is in the Colosseum once and he's actually performing. And it's funny to note, but it would have been highly unusual for a for an emperor to want to be a gladiator it would have been considered the yeah. job of a slave or, right so first of all to even see a gladiator uh, an emperor in the Colosseum yeah, would have been outrageous outrageous but it did outrageous. it did yeah. happen but he wants uh he he was once in the in the uh, w- taking part in some games and there was a, a group of senators sitting in the front row and he decapitated a, an ostrich uh, and start shaking the decapitated head it's of like the ostrich. It's like a by these swans moment, yeah. Jake. Yeah, yeah, by yeah, this yeah. ostrich. <laughs> Brilliant. He, at the, in, in the face of the senator. So, I like this guy. I don't yeah. see what the big problem is. He used yeah. to, he loved killing animals like wild beasts, uh, t- you know, anything he could get his hand on. But it was always fixed. Alarm bells. I mean, yeah. alarm bells. This yeah. kid's killing animals. Yeah. So maybe don't make him the fucking emperor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there is, there is some throwbacks in there. To the I, think, I think just historically commonest to put him in him in his context if you were to talk about the top five worst emperors mm. that rome ever had he's in that discussion yeah right let's do and it caligula caligula is in there nero is in there Domitian uh, has yeah, got to be the mission i mean these guys are just lunatics Com- yeah. commodus comes to power and it's like it's like the 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 trope that you see in, in american teen movies where Okay, the parents are going away for a week now. Don't have a house party, <laughs> but that your house is the Roman Empire. Now I want to mm. see that film. <laughs> now I want to yeah. see like uh, you know a real sort of uh, Mel Brooks version of right, uh, right. of communists taking over yeah. the empire. Yeah, I mean it really is. This guy, this guy comes to power and he just doesn't give a fuck. He just does whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants. At one point, he actually renamed Rome. 
he renamed Commodia. So he right. named it after himself. Right. The other thing right. to note about this time is that when he, in historically speaking, he did end the wars when Commodus came to power after his father died. He, he and his father, we should say, Marcus Aurelius died on campaign. Uh, I think he was about 59. He would have been young by our standards. A lot, a lot younger than Richard Harris was. Yeah. yeah. But still fairly similar then. Going campaign, you know, out and about. Yeah. Did he exactly. get stabby murdered or just old murdered? No, he, no. he, he died from a plague which is yeah, prevalent is, at the time. Yeah, we, died, the, 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 the Antonine plague, they call it, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it would have been, they, it, they reckon it killed, uh, I think, 5 million people at that time. So as we said earlier, so ten, although it 10% was, of the population. Really. Yeah, although it's, it's considered a golden age of Rome, uh, like there was, was, life was still very difficult and short for the vast majority of people. You could get plague any day of the week, you know. Yeah. Uh, you'd be lucky to, a lot of the time with the wars and everything to, to, to reach, to get past 35, you know. Yeah. Mm. I feel like the ending of Gladiator then, I mean... It, there's a lot to be said about how the film wraps up, uh, but yeah, there is a gladiatorial fight there between uh, the big bad guy and our friend Russell. Russell, our friend Russell, I call him Russ. Um, and <laughs> Russ, like, who was friends, yeah, yeah, yeah Russie, yeah. yeah. uh, me and Russ. It's like uh, I had the feeling like obviously this didn't happen, but you're right, Michael. That is actually like sometimes things are so implausible that no that did actually happen like he would have gone in and fought gladiators and stabbed them in beforehand mm. just to make sure and then like killed them and walked around in his weird armor and been like i'm the best yeah so that did happen didn't get killed in the arena and if he had gone like even the fiction of the movie when the emperor is killed like i get that maybe they don't love the emperor but everyone's just kind of quiet and like oh what happened there like the emperor is dead and then they're like let us honor this gladiator and they leave the emperor on the ground like at least if you have hate towards him have him ripped apart by animals or <laughs> right. just, he's just lying right. there at the end and then it's like we shall reestablish the republic yeah. obviously didn't happen as we've discussed this, like, is, the, this is the moment uh, this super did not happen yeah this, <laughs> that, that, this is probably eh, this is probably the, the moment the, the one that happened the least uh, in the film but then like it's also implied then ah and Rome flourished after this and became a wonderful republic and instead it was plunged into chaos oh it's a shit show for Much a like, century no spoilers yeah. for Game of Thrones but they do end Game of Thrones on the note of like everything is going to be brilliant now and yeah. if you do any amount of thinking at all you're like this isn't going to work is no. it? <laughs> this is this is literally just going to spark every war imaginable yeah so but, yeah I, like they, they do get they do get the I suppose you could argue the spirit of the thing is right I mean he is killed by a gladiator um they also there's a the side plot of his his sister's fear of communists and her being involved in plots to assassinate. That is also true. She did try to uh, get involved in trying to kill him because he his mania was growing to such an extent. But what really happened with her is he discovered this plot and he, he exiled her to an island, just exiled her to Capri. While what ended up happening was his uh, gladiator trainer, his wrestling trainer Narcissus essentially just strangled Commodus in the bath. Yeah. Bath or bed, I've heard. Slight, slightly <laughs> less glorious than dying at the hands of Russell Crowe. Mm. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's the way we don't want to go, isn't it? I think another uh, <laughs> character... That as long as he does the speech, that's, that's, <laughs> uh, you know, that's, how, you know, that's how I want to go. Uh, I think something else that automatically jumps out at you with this movie is when you think of the word gladiator, you think of the Colosseum. So I think we should give the Colosseum a little bit of... Uh, once over to see in terms of what we all thought of its portrayal and um, whether we thought it was accurate. Or I thought it was big. 
uh, and cool. That's that's fair. Yeah, I, I think yeah, the, the scene that we mentioned earlier when they kind of arrive into the city of Rome and it, they're they're just completely awestruck. I I feel like that's probably a pretty accurate yeah. situation. There is a mention earlier in the movie Maximus has never been to Rome. Yeah. He's 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 from Spain. He's they call him the Spaniard. That's an allusion to Trajan, I think. Because Trajan is a Spaniard as well. Um, and I th- and I think uh, I think they did a good job of just showing this is a, a, a an accurate example of the power of Rome. The the, the Colosseum uh, is built. It's funded by the sacking of the Temple of Jerusalem in in right. a couple of centuries earlier by Vespasian and his son Titus. Um, with uh, which is why it's actually not called the Colosseum at all. Um, Flavian Amphitheater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The real name. There was a statue of Nero, the Emperor Nero, who was another man who was assassinated. Um, a colossal bronze statue. Think something like um, our like Kim Jong Un in North Korea. Mm-hmm. There was a there was <laughs> yeah. a massive bronze statue of him at the entrance to where the Colosseum is. Which now. is called the Colossus. The Colossus. And it, so the Colosseum actually gets its name from the statue of Nero as opposed to... In the film, there's only a foot remaining? or the, the, At this stage, I think the, the statue had been, I, had been removed. Yeah, so, it, you know, much yeah. like uh, Commodus, uh, Nero was wildly unpopular. Yeah. Um, so so um, allusions to his, to his rule were often uh, ignored or actively removed. Commodus himself was actually written out of history mm. by a number of uh, Roman historians. So he refused to recognize it even existed, which is pretty damning for a guy who used to walk around dressed like Hercules. You know? And yeah. uh, the, the thing you have to note with the, the Colosseum too is that it was built on uh, Nero's palace. So Nero had attempted to build a, par- a palace. Basically there was a, a, f- a fire of Rome, the great fire of Rome. It's a real and, fuck you though, isn't it? Like yeah. you're trying to build a palace. No. We're gonna build a theater on top of your palace. Huh. Wait, so, so this is after he died, or no? But the statue yeah. was still there, or something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's uh, the Colosseum itself is fascinating. I thought it just looked beautiful. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, if anything, from the historical accounts of uh, it was actually tame. What is portrayed in the film about the amount of you know wild beasts and all that. Mm. I think for one opening games when the when it opened, it, they would have had nine thousand wild beasts would have been used. Yeah, in the course of a game. It's, it's actually really game. it's actually a really interesting thing because when you when watch a film like that and you don't have any context or you, you you've little knowledge maybe about the situation or what the Colosseum is actually like, you might be inclined to think they're exaggerating it. But if anything, like you're saying, they might even be underplaying it. Yeah, like at one point the Romans actually. They actually flooded the center of the Colosseum to stage a naval battle. Yeah, like just think, think Wait, about the technology required to do that. Okay, so Crazy. were there boats? Uh, yeah, yeah, actual boats. boats. Yeah. yeah, were there ships? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've constructed ships, brought them into the Colosseum, flooded the Colosseum, flooded the boats. Right. Crazy. I mean, just <laughs> yeah. just crazy levels of spectacle. But there's a million people in Rome. You've got to entertain them because there's a line actually. I think in in the movie where he says, "Oh, something about the mob," and Proximus says. Rome is the mob. Yeah, you know you've got to win the crowd. Absolutely true. You know, there's um, another building actually in Rome that it would actually would make the Colosseum pale in comparison. So uh, there was the Circus Maximus, which is essentially the racetrack. Yeah, that you would see in most historical movies about Roman history or whatever. That had held nearly a quarter of a million people. So that's if you imagine the Colosseum holding fifty to eighty thousand how big it, it actually paled in comparison to 
something that was just up the road, <laughs> uh, a racetrack es- essentially. You know, so it, have we got any leftovers of that lane about these days, or because it's a part of the Coliseum still there, right? Yeah, the, the, the yeah, there's there's parts of the Circus Maximus still knocking around. I actually have a, a piece of I probably shouldn't say this. I have a piece <laughs> of the Coliseum on my desk, <laughs> like a little stone stolen okay. from it. Um, wow. But um, worse than the Pope's turning it into a quarry, Mark. Yeah. It's slightly harsh. <laughs> um, yeah. No, but it, it's it's important to say like the, the the portrayal of the gladiators with um, Proximo uh, Oliver Reed's character discussing like their importance and win the crowd and win all of this kind of stuff. Like it, it it's it's accurate in one sense that that the gladiators were celebrities. That that is that is absolutely true. Um, they so uh, at times they became the most famous and popular men, certainly in the city. Um, their fame would travel to the certainly around Italy, um, to the other major cities there. Um, they rarely were killed in battles. They often they, they the battles were often, uh, you know, more staged than. And than the real the heroes would have been as looked at, well looked after as a footballer playing for Juventus, you know, while still being been, slaves technically. Yeah. <laughs> But so it wouldn't have been like here's our most two pop our two most popular gladiators. Let's see which one wins. It's more like here's a gladiator fighting off a mob and being the coolest. Yeah, they might they might have two popular guys fight each other, but it would be more like MMA. Neither of them are dying, right? You know, okay. um, sometimes they'd fight without weapons. Even or sounds quite humane. Then again, I believe they did uh, slaughter quite a lot of people in this arena. Fair, yeah. So, I mean, fair. animals, yeah, and animals, yeah, yeah, definitely true. Um. It's just I, I think the, the, the popular understanding of the Coliseum and Gladiators is a bunch of guys go in and they fight to the death for the pleasure of the Emperor and, and, and the crowd and there's some truth in that too, but it's organized and it's a money making thing. This is yeah. a, this is an industry in Rome. Just like the Circus Maximus is, is the, the site at which the gla- uh, the um, chariot races are being held. There are teams, there's propaganda Colors, for teams. You can yeah. you can see posters. You can see advertisings for this still existing. The Romans love back the betting. red team, they back the green betting. team, yeah, back yeah. the blue team. You know all this notorious gambler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of the things I saw uh, noted about the making of Gladiator is they had historical advisors who came in to help them out, yeah. and some stuff they decided to leave out because it would seem too implausible, like yeah. product placement for yeah. the gladiators, yeah. <laughs> uh, which. I could see happening, but it's if you put that in a film now with modern actors acting it out, you'd go, "Fucking hell, this is them!" I like, can't believe pr- they're trying to sell Coca Cola to me right now when <laughs> I'm trying to watch Maximus. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, more like uh, even if they were there, like use this type of armor polish or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's like we would think that we're projecting what we're doing now into then, which I think is a fair bit of what's going on in this film and, and most films. Um, but because. For example, the whole thing with the Senate and the balance between the Senate and the Emperor. Yeah. I think there's an American aspect or a projection there of 100%. between the Senate and the President, 100%. obviously, yeah. of like there is a, a push and pull of power where now it seems more like the Emperor is actually in charge. Well, yeah, we mentioned this even in when in our last review of the Outlaw King movie. It's the same kind of thing where we're bringing in our modern perspectives, what we want to see happen. Yeah into a historical context. Well, yeah. and mentioning Outlaw King, I, we have to touch on the fact that both these films are major daddy issues with yeah. these guys. Like, it is yeah. he, two psycho children who are it's, made king, like, or It's emperor. inescapable, isn't it, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That daddy issue thing. And really I honestly weird. think uh, Outlaw King, I mean, obviously they're doing different things, but his portrayal of that character is more interesting to me than Commodus because Commodus is just too over the top for me, mm. uh, honestly, because he's... 
so insane and like he, i don't know he he do, he's, he doesn't have a smart bone in his body nothing underneath like he's just he's just kind of an idiot as well i think it well, feels like yeah yeah but our understanding from the sources from um from roman historians um that is what commodus was like sure. yeah, it really is that he's he's like i was i was saying to michael earlier he's like a middle ground between nero and caligula and if you know anything about roman history like nero is this crazy extravagant performing performance mm. uh obsessed just he, ha- he just has that look at me gene you know he used caligula, to the Olympic Games. caligula just has mania they, they even think now that caligula actually contracted like uh some kind of a virus that caused him to go insane that's mm. literally what they think mm. and commodus is somewhere between the two of those guys so i mean it's a great venn diagram yeah you know i mean he's, he's he, he is this over-the-top lunatic he, he's gone around dressing as hercules fighting in the in the in the pits like it's it's, it's mental you know mm. I still think Caligula was more mental. But, uh, well, you know, yeah. like we said, okay. there's a graph, you know? Yeah, <laughs> there is. Uh, well, uh, anything else we want to get out before we wrap up this discussion of Gladiator? Um, I, I, I did just want to talk a little bit about um, the opening of the movie and, and, and some, of the, some of the efforts that they, they, they went to, to to establish the, the context of what's going on, which, you know, you, you mentioned how they were primarily concerned with getting the mood right and getting the feeling right i think they did a brilliant job of that i know i, I complained before that you know the, the helmets are wrong and all this kind of stuff they're using the armor from a century beforehand the archers are wearing helmets which i'm just like what even are they like um the battle at the start uh i, I do just want to say like the way they've portrayed the army in some ex- to some extent is, is pretty good but is, is very inaccurate in other ways um and the main call out for me really is the way the German tribes are portrayed, like mm. as if they're Stone Age. Yeah. It's like, what are they wearing? Like, whereas in reality, the level of crossover between the Germanic tribes and the Empire at this point is really significant. And they're, they wouldn't really have looked that much different to their counterparts. They, they, they'd be wearing, you know, reasonably similar clothing, maybe not as, as, as uh, organized and, and uh, uniform as the Roman army, but. So not so much wolf skin pelts. Yeah, I mean this this guy looks like he he's walked out of a cave. You know the the Germanic tribal leader, and he's screaming in in you know proto Germanic or whatever it is he's supposed to be screaming, and and uh, it's it's just just nonsense. Like, well, uh, it's also like uh, Romans uh, stereotypically are known for great battle strategies, but as we saw in, for example, Outlaw King, like people who know the land usually wouldn't just rush at. An attacking yeah. force through yeah. like there, it doesn't seem like yeah. Great and although you would have, there would have been ballistas or catapults at the time, you'd never really use them f- in a in a pitch battle just within a, in a forest. Field battle. This is nonsense. No. You're, yeah. you're going to use uh, high explosives in a forest, but in what? a Hollywood sense, it looks great. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. There's, e- there's <laughs> even the point where you know Russell Crowe's a great line where he's like, "On my mark, unleash hell." Which is mm-hmm. a great, great line. line. You know? And the, caval- the cavalry thing. ride around the back, and they they perform a cavalry charge through a forest. It's not just really a thing, nonsense. Is it? Just absolutely no chance. And also, they they do so riding horses with stirrups. Um, and I know this sounds like a really nitpicky thing. Yeah, stirrups don't exist okay. at this point. Okay, these these are a much more modern invention. It completely changes European warfare when stirrups are are adopted from, you know, they're adapted from like uh, Eastern horsemen that invade later on. That's kind of what creates knights charging in mass. That's not what the Roman cavalry did. Mm. In fact, Italian cavalry are comparatively pathetic at this point most of the roman cavalry are made up of auxiliaries that they get from other people around they're, they're not known for their cavalry or the romans they're infantry they will just mow you down in this movie they they show the roman infantry line breaking ranks and just charging 
Roman armies do not do that. That's, that's, <laughs> that's not what they do. They just methodically mow you down. They don't run out and fight hand to hand. You know, so that, that from just from a from a you know a military history nerd point of view, it looks great, but it was just that just that never happened. That would yeah. never happen. Not uh, like that. One thing that I did really want to uh, talk about quickly was basically how the, the role of slavery in the empire. Um, now we do have it does show to a certain extent how slaves would be picked up off the road or uh, and and used then for different purposes but it's just important to know if, if people aren't aware of roman history how many slaves existed in that empire like for example when with mark mentioned the jewish revolt earlier many of the people who would have built the Colosseum would have been jewish slave labor uh every every rich aristocrat his fields would have been tilled by slaves even a middle class uh Re- shopkeeper would have had slaves in his home. Yeah. Uh, there was slaves were ubiquitous throughout the empire. Well, the gladiators were slaves. Were slaves, as but well, they could yeah. buy their freedom if they'd earned enough money through their performances. Proximo, uh, the character mentions, you know, he has the sword that Aurelius gave. Oh, horseshit, like that never happened. But, but like that kind of thing could happen where you could you could buy your freedom, but you would have to pay your your slave owner. Yeah, but that that kind of thing happened, but. The ubiquity of the slave the ma- system. Manunition, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the ubiqu- ubiquity of it is is staggering. Um, and it's, it's essentially any conquered people became slaves. Yeah. And even, um, not locals in terms of citizens, but um, reasonably, uh, people who are from reasonably close areas, you could, you could descend into slavery from, from debt even. You yeah. Know? So, so the, the concept was... was uh, it's just everywhere in the empire. For sure. That's how you build a glorious empire, really. So you just, do, yeah. Oh, great emperor. I mean, it is slave empire. Well, histo- but, you know. historically, people, you know, you, you get this thing, um, probably because of the movie 300, but you get these, these people like uh, lionizing the Spartans and they're like, oh, the Spartans are brilliant. What great warriors they were. What great this they were. What great that they were. Their entire society is built completely on the back of slavery. The reason yeah. why they're such good soldiers is because there's fucking nothing else to do because the slaves are doing everything, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I think that's a nice bow to tie on the whole gladiator affair. I think uh, it is a film that has, as we said at the start, like it really sparked a lot of interest in this era. And also just as far as real history, that's with two E's, like it had a huge impact on like what types of films were being made. And yeah, sure. not only Ridley Scott has been chasing this since, but like in general, historical big picture, like big fucking productions is... It, it's rare that it ever reaches this level. In yeah. fact, it's hard to, for me to think off the top of my head of films since that has come to this level that, you know, an epic historical film. I can't honestly... Every, everyone, everyone is for sure chasing it. It's not, not just him. He, he has made several attempts, but everyone has chased it. I, I think even as, uh, as uh, silly as it, as it might sound, I just don't think we're going to see it again for, for really a long time. And maybe they should stop even trying because... Yeah. Yeah such unmitigated disasters well um, culturally we almost moved from this into fantasy like because lord of the rings was happening at the same time yeah and then obviously game of thrones is a huge cultural touchstone which is which is probably the closest we're going to get to these yeah. um you know medieval kind of or yeah. you know historical fantasy or historical epics um yeah we, we have to lean towards the fantasy yeah but as we'll uh discuss i'm sure in our eventual game of thrones episode uh it's about as historically accurate as Gladiator as far as events, <laughs> like because they're also inspired by historical yeah. events and 
people love that feeling, I think, as well, when you something feels like it definitely happened, which is not really a feeling you get in Gladiator, but I don't know. It, there's always this balance to be struck. I think it is a good film, even mm. though a lot of it is obviously not, like... <laughs> I don't know. It, it is really weird, because it's one of those examples where it's like, we, in this podcast, discuss how accurate something is, but, like, we can go, yeah, yeah, it's not accurate at all, but, you know, it's it's great. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, yeah, it's one of those, yeah, this this is one of those movies where you, you're watching this and you're watching Maximus and, yeah, you, you go onto Wikipedia and you're like, is he, is he a real guy? And you're hoping that he is, you know, because he, yeah. he has, the, you know, he has the moment in the, in the, in the Colosseum where he turns to face the Emperor and he's the great speech he gives, all of that kind of stuff. You, you hope that happened. It didn't, but it, it is still going to spark interest in that period. So, yeah, for sure. It's definitely um, culturally relevant from that standpoint. And for launching Russell Crowe into kind oh, of yeah. stardom, I guess, Very and important. Joaquin Phoenix and helping Ridley Scott's career. Yeah. Michael? Yeah, and, and even just if, because I do think if this has kind of stoked your, your interest in Roman history, uh, there's a couple of recommendations we might have. Mark might have one as well. Um, if you really have a lot of time, then a classic is what we mentioned earlier, Edward Gibbon. Uh, decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Really, a, a lot of time though. It's really about <laughs> three hundred years old. I think it was written in the seventeen sixties or something. But yeah. my dad still, gave that to me, saying everyone man should have this on his bookshelf. <laughs> Not saying every man should yeah. read it. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, actually there somewhere. On my bookshelf. If you're going on your holidays uh, to a beach somewhere and you want something really accessible, then uh, you could do a lot worse than um, basically Mary Beard's Senate and People of Rome or SPQR, as you'll see it. Um, which is really accessible. She covers everything from the kings of Rome to the Republican period, all the way to Imperial Rome, and what ultimately led to the uh, the destruction of the empire in the in the West. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I'd really recommend them. Mary Beard. Great. Another recommendation is to go to showswithjuno.com for uh, for all of our different podcasts and, and brands, as we call them these days. Uh, just check in for our discussions of other television shows and movies as well, and updates on the next coming Real History uh, podcast. It's going to be good. This has actually been a lot of fun. Thank you all for listening. Um, I think that's the only recommendation we have, except please do leave a review on iTunes, as this is a new podcast that would be really helpful. Oh yeah, and if we got anything wrong, which we probably did, oh yeah, then make sure to tell us because uh, we want to make fun of each other. Yeah, you could leave that in your iTunes review or send a, a an email to showswhatyouknowshow at gmail.com. Marked confidential. <laughs> yes, don't tell anyone else, just tell <laughs> us so we can make fun of each other privately. No, we will put in corrections eventually, maybe. Mm, just email us, we'll see. Uh, but either way, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers.